It seems like a lifetime ago that Winter is Coming was a tagline for an HBO show and not a real, tangible feeling of oncoming depression. But of course, this is 2020, so it's fitting that instead of watching fictional characters try to survive a dark, cold, desperate winter, we're going to do it ourselves. Unless you're lucky enough to live in some of the areas of Canada, like the Atlantic provinces, that are largely free of COVID-19, you are staring down a long few months, likely spent isolated from most of the community, spent inside your house, spent with limited contact with family members, and it sounds horrible. The case numbers are rising. We're told it's not safe to socialize indoors, and as I speak, we're probably, what, four to eight weeks away from the first deep freeze and snowstorm. That can feel like a lot, if you let it. And this is not me pep-talking you, this is science. There are people, you must realize, who live so far north that winter dominates their lives. People who live with darkness during the day for weeks at a time. And if you survey those people about winter, you would find they're much better at dealing with it than you are. So is that a choice that they make? Or is it simply a function of their reality? Is it something we can copy and try to embrace during what could otherwise be a really tough few months? And if it is, how do we start? Rawlings, this is The Big Story. David Robson is a science writer who specializes in psychology, neuroscience, and medicine. He's also the author of The Intelligence Trap, a book about the various factors that influence our decision-making. Hey, David. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. You're uh, uniquely equipped both to be on lockdown and to help us um, talk about it. My first question is... When I say to you, winter of 2020, what's the first image that pops into your mind? Mm, I'd say until recently, the image that came to mind would be uh, quite a sad one of kind of isolation, the kind of grey London skies, but also having um, this kind of sense of kind of despair at not being able to see friends and this kind of fear that's overwhelming us. But um, that has changed recently after I came across this research showing that actually our mindset, this kind of lens, a, a kind of set of beliefs and expectations can actually influence how we respond to different stressful events. And so I found that actually uh, my winter mindset was especially bad and that actually you can change your kind of subjective view of winter to be much more positive. So that's really now what I'm focusing on to try to see all of the uh, kind of pleasant things about winter, of which there are many. And we're going to get you to walk us through that as well, because uh, we could all use it. But first, um, what is typically uh, the connection between, I guess, winter and, and depression and mental health? If we don't change our mindset, how tough could this winter be for for people, especially in places like like London and Canada, that that just going to be stuck inside, isolated? You know, before the pandemic, in a kind of typical winter, you do see these kind of seasonal fluctuations in mood um, that kind of take the form of seasonal affective disorder. So people do tend to feel much more depressed during the winter. And this was thought to have this kind of biological basis because it seemed that the light levels outside were somehow connected to levels of important neurotransmitters in our brain, things like serotonin that help us to regulate our moods. 
you know, that was a serious concern. And especially then, obviously, with the lockdown on top of that, it does paint quite a depressing picture of what winter in 2020 could be. Where can we look for examples of how to tackle this? Because I know a lot of us are probably starting to feel the the seasonal affective disorder coming on now. Mm. So there's this fascinating work by uh, Kari Leibovitz, who's at Stanford University. And she had looked to the very north of Norway. So places like Tromsø and even Svalbard, which is very far north above the Arctic Circle. And what's fascinating in these places is that actually, despite incredible amounts of darkness, you know, they actually have this long polar night of uh, longer than two whole months of darkness. And despite that, they don't actually show signs of seasonal affective disorder. They're kind of, their mood is very level throughout the year. So that suggested that there was more to it than just this kind of biological basis. And so Leibovitz really wanted to look into kind of what the secret of the Norwegians' attitude to winter was and how that was protecting them. How do you go about researching things like uh, the way our mindset or even our surroundings impact our moods and happiness? Like, how do you measure that uh, on a scientific level? Mm, That's interesting. And it's something that really uh, scientists and psychologists have been tackling a lot over the last 20 years. So a lot of it is these kind of... um, self-report questionnaires that just kind of ask people to express their kind of implicit kind of understanding of different events. So a lot of this work is um, focused more on on stress in particular. And what you find is that some people have a very consistent view of stressful events as being threatening and kind of dangerous. They think it's going to harm them in some way and cause lasting damage. And you also find that other people have a totally different viewpoint, a different mindset, that they find that stress is, uh, you know, unpleasant, but also kind of an opportunity for growth in some way. That's uh, kind of by going through the the difficulties that you can actually grow as a person. And so there have been various experiments that have tried to look at what the consequences of those two mindsets have been. And they had shown that actually the consequences are really significant. In some way, they become a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So people with the more positive view of stress actually uh, endure all kinds of stressful events, um, such as kind of students moving from kind of school to university, or um, immigrants moving to a new country, or people at risk of redundancy and unemployment, that actually their mental health fares a lot better during those periods of intense change. Um, And also you can see these differences in hormonal responses too and the cardiovascular response. So in some way, our brain and our body, the two are communicating and our outlook is really affecting how we're dealing and coping with these difficult circumstances. How much of our outlook is, uh, you know, biological and predetermined and and how much are we in control of? That's interesting because I'm not sure that there's been a lot of research looking at the kind of genetics of outlook or mindset. I would say that some things like optimism do seem to be a little bit kind of genetically determined, but actually mindset is a little bit different from optimism because it's kind of um, talking about kind of specific expectations of what's going to happen. It's not necessarily just taking a cheery attitude, but it's kind of Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the negatives, but also trying to see the kind of positives alongside that and Uh, kind of trying to understand the longer term consequences. So and I think that that is something that anyone can change. There's lots of research showing that we can 
reframe our mindsets to uh, get some of these benefits. So one of my favourite examples, and it's one I apply myself all the time, is that when you're feeling anxious about, say, public speaking, that you can kind of, you have all these physiological sensations, like your heart is racing, you feel a bit breathless, you know, you're kind of tingling. Now, you can either frame that as anxiety and something that's kind of quite damaging for you and is going to harm your performance. Or you can also read that as maybe a sign of excitement. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you're feeling a bit anxious, but maybe you're also feeling a little bit excited like you would before a roller coaster. Maybe it's almost something that is pleasurable in a way that the kind of uncertainty is giving you a chance to prove yourself. And so just by changing your mindset, by kind of asking yourself, am I feeling anxious or excited? You can actually see a real difference in and not just the way you feel about the event, but actually your real performance. So scientists have done these studies of people kind of taking part in karaoke or public speaking to events that are normally quite stressful and getting them to reframe their mindset so they uh, consider the event to be exciting rather than anxiety-inducing or rather than solely anxiety-inducing had actually had a real benefit for the way they were perceived and how confidently they performed. So is changing um, your outlook and your mindset just as simple as like repeated self-talk? Is there is there a technique to it? Mm, it's not so much uh, self-talk, I would say, but I would say it's more kind of a reappraisal or reframing. So it's just kind of, I would say it's simply a matter of kind of being aware that there are different ways of interpreting these events. You know, you can still accept that you might be feeling a bit physically kind of overwhelmed by something. But you can also question whether that necessarily inevitably means that your performance is going to suffer as a result, right. if we're talking about these kinds of um, public speaking events or whatever. And I, and the research seem to, seems to suggest that just going through that process of questioning your assumptions and trying to consider the other side can be very powerful, actually, in changing your mental and physiological response. So maybe tell me a little bit then uh, about how we can do that with winter. Um, you know, what kinds of things seem to work for uh, the people you mentioned uh, in Norway who live up above the Arctic Circle? Like, how do they apply that? Mm, so this is really what um, Kari Leibovitz's fascinating research really looked into. Um, so she designed this kind of questionnaire to look at uh, their kind of broad attitudes to winter. And so you know, in the West, we, um, I mean, in um, kind of the UK and USA or Canada, we might tend to see winter as quite a boring season. You know, it's very limiting if we're used to kind of spending lots of time outside doing kind of summer sports like tennis or sunbathing. And, you know, we might also find the darkness kind of just depressing. Um, we might just assume that darkness has to be depressing. But what she found was that actually for lots of Norwegian people, it's the complete opposite. And they actually find it quite difficult to understand why that would be depressing. Because for them, they can understand that actually you can be flexible and you can change your activities in the winter. So they might have to give up some summer sports, but they can also take a lot of joy in kind of cross-country skiing or hiking in the weather. And they can take pleasure in the kind of very harsh landscape around them. And even the darkness can actually be a thing of beauty. If you imagine a city in this kind of half light just lit up by uh, lampposts or maybe just the kind of um, beginning of sunlight kind of seeping up from below the horizon, that actually that in itself can be something that's beautiful and fascinating and to be appreciated. And then there's the whole idea of hygge, of kind of um, embracing the coziness of being inside when it's cold outside. 
and reading or uh, sitting under a blanket and watching lots of DVDs. And you can really embrace those opportunities too. Um, so that's really what this research is all about. It, you might acknowledge that winter sometimes can feel a bit boring and sometimes you are a little bit limited in what you can do. But you can also look for other opportunities to kind of embrace the pleasures of winter. And that can uh, that seems to be able to protect your mental health. In the research, did the people who were interviewed about this, did they speak of doing that stuff consciously or is that just, you know, how they how they frame winter? That's really interesting because I've been contacted by quite a few Norwegian people myself. <laughs> and I think some of them actually recognise that it is this kind of conscious process that they kind of have to gear themselves up for the winter. But I think um, it's so embedded within Norwegian culture that lots of them kind of take it for granted. And they, they're genuinely puzzled how you could see winter as anything other than this kind of delightful season full of its own unique pleasures. Does this mindset and our attempts to shift it um, come from the same place as, uh, you know, mindfulness, which we've we've explored on this show before, or meditation and just kind of convincing your brain? Or is it simply more practical, like, I'm going to get outside this winter and go cross-country skiing, and, and then the shift in mindset comes after that? Uh, you know, that's a great point. And I think that's something that I'm kind of really beginning to appreciate when I look more deeply into this subject. And I would say it's a combination of both. So in terms of mindfulness, it's not so much a practice of like uh, meditating. But what I think it does share with mindfulness is that you are kind of, you're less judgmental about your feelings, and you're more questioning of your feelings. If you have had like a negative attitude to the winter, it's all about just kind of recognizing that fact and not judging yourself for feeling that, but just asking yourself, is it true? Is there a way to reframe it, to reappraise those thoughts, to maybe look at it from another perspective? Uh, but I also agree with you that it's very much a practical thing as well. And that's the beauty of mindsets is that the two really go together. So once you start changing this kind of uh, uh, attitude and questioning your assumptions, you also feel a bit uh, more capable to practice active coping. So that's where you actually take action, like you said, like you start planning for things to enjoy. You know, myself, as I'm, I've entered this kind of quarantine period, like right at the start, I try to make a list for myself of all the things I wanted to try to do while I was in quarantine to kind of buoy my mood. So a list of the books I wanted to read or the kind of uh, meals I wanted to cook. And so I'd say it's a combination of the two, but it's very much about being proactive and trying to trying to recognise that some elements of your situation are going to be completely beyond your control and completely undesirable. Like no one wants to be in quarantine and no one necessarily would choose to live without light for two whole months of the year. But there are elements of that that you can control. Um, there are things that you can do to try to improve your mood and by recognizing that and by making it feel just a little bit more manageable, you'll cope a lot better. So far, this has been mostly a conversation about what we can do as individuals uh, to change our mindset. Are there things, um, because certainly our government in Canada and, and probably governments all over the world have maintained that mental health is incredibly important to them uh, during this time. Are there are there policy uh, levers that could help us? Are there things governments could do to, to help us uh, get that mindset that we need to get through the winter? Mm, that's a great point, because as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been a huge amount of research into this or any kind of uh, particular programs that are trying to apply uh, mindset research to improve mental health. But my hunch is they could be really powerful. 
um, just in the way that um, governments kind of frame messages. So I would say, for instance, if we look back at the stress research, now there's been a lot of public health messaging about the dangers of stress. I think actually sometimes that's almost framed too negatively. It's almost making people more scared of stressful events, which I think can actually exacerbate some of the negative effects. And I think maybe some of that messaging could be framed a little bit more positively. I mean, no one's saying that you should actively seek stress or that it's a necessarily a good thing to have in your life. But maybe the messaging doesn't have to seem so inevitable, because it really isn't inevitable that stressful events will damage your mental health or your physical health. And there are practical ways that you can change your mindset and learn to cope with stressful events. And I think more of a focus on those elements, on our ability to control our response to situations, I think that would be incredibly powerful. What's the part of this research uh, that you've reported on and and spoken to people about? What's the part of it that's going to stick with you? Mm, I would just say all of it, to be honest. Like, I I think this has really uh, completely revolutionized my whole understanding of my own responses to a whole host of different events. I mean, like I said, you know, I've been covering some mindset research for a while now. And, I, you know, I always applied this idea of trying to reframe a stressful event beforehand to try to consider whether it might be an opportunity for growth and excitement. And I found that really has made a whole host of different situations a lot easier for me. But also, more specifically, when we're talking about the winter mindset, I just think it, it's this whole idea of just questioning whether whether the environment around us really needs to affect our mood in the way that we once assume and to try to look for the things of beauty or uh, the things that we enjoy in any situation. That's a, a nice place to end it, and I will do my best to try to apply that. Thank you so much for taking the time today, David. Mm, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. David Robson, science writer and author of The Intelligence Trap. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Find us in your podcast players, whichever one you prefer, by looking up The Big Story. Of course, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. And if you have feedback, please email it to us at TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. Embarrassingly, I learned from feedback yesterday that when I say the Maritimes, it doesn't refer to Newfoundland and Labrador. I should have been saying the Atlantic provinces the whole time. See, that's something I would be too dumb to ever learn on my own, but somebody wrote in, and now I know. So, good job, Atlantic provinces, on keeping yourselves mostly COVID-19 free. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Tomorrow.